Pangin ang Panginoon. Praise the Lord. Magandang gamangka po sa ang lahat. Good morning to you all. Welcome, PCF. It is good to be gathered as one family in one place at one time. Hallelujah. We give the Lord thanks this morning. Lift up offering of praise and thanksgiving to Him. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. It is a time of joy for us this morning and this weekend. As has already been mentioned, as you saw in that video, as you can see here on the stage, as you can see even on my physical person, we are all decked out for VBS. Um, you may think that I'm a little dressed down for today, and I uh, appreciate your patience with that, and yet at the same time, I don't think patience is demanded. I think rejoicing is expected because this is dressed up for VBS. I always think it's really important that the entire congregation gets an opportunity to participate in what is happening with our youngest members. As someone who spent years in children's ministry and who really feels that uh, he is still part of children's ministry because the kingdom is made up of children. Of such as these, said Jesus, is the kingdom of God made. I always like to keep at the forefront of our mind how significant it is when we have events like this. And that's why I was delighted and pleased to have these decorations continue, even as VBS is continuing through our kids' classes this morning. It's also continuing in our hearts, big hearts, big hearts that are, that are enlarged in the best sense, not the medical sense, that's a problem. But in the spirit, it's good for your heart to grow big with the fruit of the Lord, the things that God has planted there of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. We have big hearts because we're part of a big family in a big kingdom. But it must be said that today is also a day of broken hearts. And in a week where so much tragedy has occurred within our nation, even within our state, as well as elsewhere, and so much blood has been needlessly spilt, it seems imperative to speak to that situation this morning as well, especially since it is possible that some still reeling from the reality of Monday's shooting in Gilroy at the Garlic Festival and another mass shooting in Mississippi this week at a Walmart may have been so transfixed by the truly grisly events of the shooting in El Paso, Texas at yet another Walmart yesterday that you might not even be aware that even as we slept, there was yet another mass shooting in Dayton, Ohio, in the downtown area. It's shocking. It's really shocking. The CEO of Walmart made a comment in, in issuing a public statement about the second mass shooting in a Walmart, saying, I can't believe that I'm sending two of these kinds of messages in one week. We've become inundated with these events. Of course, for the people who experience it, and most devastatingly, for the people who lose loved ones or even their own life in it, it is, of course, an incomparable experience. In fact, what people say over and over again is, I couldn't believe it happened here. I couldn't believe it happened to me or to them. Even yesterday, driving home, we were saying it can happen anywhere. And that begins to produce in us fear and terrible distress and anxiety. 
as I mentioned, it's probably nothing to compare with the absolute abject grief of those who experience something far worse in the immediacy of it. Let's just for a moment ask the Lord's grace on those people today, people who've lost their lives in these last days, people who have lost family members, people who were present and have been traumatized in a way that has changed them forever. Lord, we ask your grace upon them. Our entire nation, and indeed, around the world, this is a reality. But the United States, where we live, wherever we're from today, here we are living in the United States. Some of us born here, some of us not. All of us residents of this place. And as this is a believer's meeting, most if not all of us people who are called by God's name and therefore called by God to intercede for our land. All of us are living in a land that is generally shocked. There's a kind of post-traumatic stress disorder over our entire society today. You cannot be exposed to this kind of random, wicked, wholesale violence over and over and over again for years and not have it bleed into your own spiritual life, into your own mental and physical being. Much of the stress, the disorientation, the, the, the disintegration of connectivity that we feel in our society, people feeling alienated, much of it comes from this recognition that at any given time, someone could just come around a corner with a gun and blow you away or someone you love. I think, for myself, I think that may be the worst fear. Even worse than the idea of me being shot is what that would do to my, my wife, my children, perhaps to you, what it would do to me if one of those people, one of you, one of my family, was injured in that way. And so fear starts to affect us. We must reject fear. We must reject fear. It doesn't mean that we don't operate in a way that is wise. It doesn't mean that we don't consider the cost. But we must also not reject the reality of these experiences. Even as we were driving down this morning in my car, a worship song came on that was called Back to God. Friends, as a people... I'm not referring to you individually. I'm not referring to this church. I'm referring to the people of our land of which we are part. As a people, we have rejected God in our society over and over again. I know it's a hackneyed message. I know, in other words, that you've heard this and you've heard this and you've heard this. And people expect it to hear it from preachers. They expect to hear it from pulpits. But they hear and they don't understand they see, but they don't perceive that what is going on is a curse. It is a spiritual curse. This does not absolve any given individual of the responsibility of their actions or of the reality that that individual, any such individual who plans or plots or carries out wickedness like this deserves to face the judgment of humanity, to come before the court of law, and to be sentenced accordingly. 
But I can tell you that as people who are looking to the root of this problem according to the spiritual vision of God, we need to recognize we don't wrestle against flesh and blood and you'll never be able to solve this problem in flesh and blood. You'll never be able to solve it in human ways and reasoning because it is a spiritual problem. The solution lies in God. And as long as we turn away from God and turn back His ways, we invite cursing because we turn away from blessing and we push it away from us. But how can people in the world who don't know God rightly and don't know Jesus Christ, how can they know any better? They can't. So who will stand in the gap? If my people, says the Lord, who are called by my name, the I am Yahweh, if they will turn to me and repent and seek me and pray, I will hear and forgive and heal their land. So we are the people who must intercede. And I want to ask us to do that right now. I know we've had circles of prayer. Some of you have already prayed about this. But I want everyone to rise up and just take the hand of the people next to you. If you have to spread to bridge the aisles, do that. If it's difficult for you to move, just let the person next to you know I'm not able to make that. But let's as much as possible connect every hand in the house today. Because we are going to agree. Listen, we have the keys of the kingdom. And this work of wicked murder is the work of Satan. But he is a defeated foe. He operates in fear. But the Lord has said to us, be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, neither be dismayed, because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So Lord, we lift up to you right now this prayer. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we declare an end, an end. And we won't stop praying this way until these events end. We recognize that the word says that the days are dark and growing darker. But we also know we're on a mission. We have an assignment. So we don't just turn the world over to the hands of Satan. We lift the world up to your hands. And as your hands, we reach our hands out to one another and together over this land and say, Stop, Satan. Stop your wickedness. And people of the world, people of this nation, awaken, awaken to your Lord, to your God. Come back to God and be blessed. Come back to God in your grief and receive comfort. Come back to God in your anger and receive peace. Come back to your God in confusion and receive clarity. Come to Jesus Christ and even the dead shall live again. And no weapon formed against you shall prosper. So Lord, right now we lay claim with authority over this land, over the city of Los Angeles, the state of California, the nation of the USA, and we ask that you would break the spirit of gun violence and random murder, that you would break the spirit of hatred and ethnic division and strife and prejudice and bigotry. We pray that you would break the spirit of anger and violence. We pray that you would break the spirit of hatred and bloodlust. We pray that you would raise up the spirit of Jesus Christ over our land. And in your name we declare, Lord, that we as your people will continually repent. 
on behalf of the land. Lord, forgive the people. Forgive the land. Even forgive us, Lord. But teach us to continually, daily pray, believing better things come from your name. In that name we pray. Amen. Every time you hear, should another, let's believe that God's making a change right now. It's not impossible. It's not impossible. It is a work of God. But every time, any time you hear another report like this, don't let fear begin to take root in you the way the enemy immediately wants to. Don't you feel that? Either fear or fatigue or you start to feel nothing at all, all of that is from hell. And that's hell's purpose, not just to kill people, but to steal life from all people. The destruction of life is very real and very sad. The destruction of hope is the same. But when you hear of these things, instead, declare God's word over them. Pray and intercede. I believe that if we will commit ourselves to praying, we can see this situation changed. I think that too many of us have given up on this. I will confess that even in my own heart, the seed of that has been present, though I do not think I ever articulated it. But the enemy has put into my heart and into my mind at various times this thought of this is just going to get worse and worse. And this is just, you know, what can we do? What can we do? We can pray and God will move. Don't believe the lie of the world or the enemy that prayer doesn't matter. Prayer is not just good feelings and good thoughts. Good feelings and good thoughts are good as far as they go, but prayer goes much further. And prayer makes a difference. As Pastor Jack Hayford once wrote a book saying, prayer is invading the impossible. You might think it's impossible for our society to change, but I'll tell you, all things are possible with God and all things are possible for those who believe. It is actually sadly entirely applicable to our teaching today because what we see in Joshua chapter 8 is people laying claim to a city that God has promised them and that's a blessing but we also see people succumbing to the destruction that they brought upon themselves because they rejected God and thereby embraced cursing do you remember that last week we talked about blessing and cursing These things that have happened in the last week, and many other, they are curses of the most extreme order. But there are also blessings. And what we've just done together as a family of God is a blessing. So blessing and cursing continues because people continue to walk in the freedom that God has given us. And that freedom, like all freedom, comes with certain costs and dangers. It is not easy to be free, but it is God's will and desire for us. So he sets before us blessing and cursing and lets us choose. But God does not hide from people the consequences of their choices. The people of Ai, or A, as the Hebrew pronunciation may more accurately be, but I'm going to stick with Ai because I feel like if I say A, you're going to think Fonzie is preaching to you today. And if you're old enough to get that reference, then you're making me feel good. And if you're not, then come and I'll tell you about Fonzie sometime. (laughs) Hey. 
The people of Ai were people who had in their hearts and in their lives positioned themselves to seek after other gods. But even as the Apostle Paul wrote to believers in the city of Rome in the first century, no one has an excuse for rejecting the God of creation because all creation gives testimony that he is there. And all creation really does indicate to us who he is. And our God is not silent. You may have seen, I wrote a blog post this week saying God speaks. And God's word speaks to us. And God's spirit speaks to us. So if we desire victory in the Lord, we have to turn ourselves to God. That's what the book of Joshua is about. About a Joshua generation that turns themselves fully to God. Yes, the Moses generation received the blessing of God bringing them out. But the Joshua generation was a generation of transition in which they went from a, a, a generation of their people who complained against God and complained about the situation of the world but didn't repent before the Lord and didn't trust in God, not broadly, not largely. They came to be a people who in the next generation they did Moses was a great leader. It wasn't the fault of the leader. God is the greatest leader of all, and it's not God's fault. It was the fault of people who preferred their own ways. The Joshua generation learned in that transition that if they were truly going to experience the blessings of God, they had to be obedient, obedient to his call to occupy the land, and once in the land, to continue to trust him as their provider and guider, their sure foundation and reward. Now, as you know, in these first chapters of Joshua, we've been looking at the central campaign by which they entered into the center of the land of Canaan and began to take possession, Jericho. After the great victory of Jericho, we studied last week in Joshua 7 how they came with presumption to the city of Ai, assuming that since it was smaller and since it was more easily to be captured, that they would quickly lay hold of it. Instead, they suffered a terrible, shameful loss, which we'll look at in more depth again in just a moment. What we saw last week was that loss came because of the curse of one in their midst, a man named Achan, he and his family, who resisted and rebelled against the way of God and hid treasure in his tent, but more importantly, hid his heart from God in a way that represented the heart of sin. Because of it, they failed at Ai, but... God rooted that sin out. He called it to the attention of Joshua and the people. And once they had removed Achan, they did something that may seem rather surprising to us. Turn to the person next to you and say, today's message is about second chances. Raise your hand if you're someone who likes to get a second chance. I like second chances. I was talking with a family member recently who had to take the DMV test. You know when you go to the DMV and you have to take that test to get your license again? And she was so distressed about it and she studied and studied and studied. She went there and she, and she failed, but there's a second chance. Amen. You get to take it again. Amen. So hallelujah for second chances. Today's message is a message about second chances because the people of Israel, the Joshua generation, come back to Ai having purged the sin from their midst and find victory. The Lord says to them, look, I'm giving this city into your hand. Now that you are wholeheartedly after me again, I will wholeheartedly give to you the promise. Dedicate the city to me. Now remember, in the days of the Joshua generation, what that meant was you are to destroy the city. 
And it's one of the hardest things for us in this section of Scripture, that the people of God are being called to bring a city down into rubble and ruins. Do you know that's what AI or A means? It means a heap of ruins because that's what AI will be left as. It was not a large city and not necessarily militarily imposing, but it was a valuable city and a lovely city and a respected city. And it is brought down into ruins. But again, remember, the point of God is not to go around destroying. What God is saying is the time is ripe. I want to give you a little uh, preview of teaching and preaching that's going to come because in just a couple of weeks, we're going to take a pause in our Joshua generation. In the year of fruitfulness, 2019, the Lord laid out for me that we would work through the first half of Joshua together, the first 12 chapters. It's like the 12 tribes of Israel. We're going to go through those chapters this year, and we're almost done in that series. And then we're going to take a pause, and we're going to return to it next year. Next year, as we come to harvest the fruit that the Lord has planted in our midst, we're going to come and look at the back 12, if you will, the 12 chapters that conclude the book of Joshua, like the 12 apostles of Jesus, an Old Testament and a New Testament parallel to describe how we're looking at the first half of the Joshua generation in this season because God wants us to focus on what we find there, and we're going to come back to it later. But as we move from summer into fall, I'm going to take us through a briefer series on the prophet Amos a prophet who is known as the prophet of doom. Now, I'm throwing a lot at you here. Don't worry, you don't have to retain all of this, okay? I just want to give you a sense of what to start praying about and thinking about. Amos is a prophet who lets the people know the time is ripe. The time was ripe for AI to receive what it had planted. They had mocked God by denying him, by turning away from him, and by raising up the idols of other things that they preferred over him. And the Lord had warned and warned and warned. The difference between, for instance, Nineveh in the days of Jonah and Ai in the days of Joshua is that Nineveh still had people who were willing to relent and repent. And Ai didn't. Not the young, not the old, not the men, not the women. Not a single one. It was a city that encapsulated the attitude of the world at the time of Noah. So despicably depraved that the best thing that God could give them would be an end to their days that they might not offend any further. It's hard to imagine that as a blessing. Fortunately, you and I don't have to carry that weight of judgment. First of all, we have a message of good news. But the good news only makes sense when you realize that judgment on AI is the same judgment that hung like the sword of Damocles over every single one of us. Because there's no one without sin. There's no one that hasn't rejected God. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. And what God says is, there is a day and time that comes when finally you reap what you've sown. If you sow unto God, you reap the fruitfulness of God. But if you sow unto the flesh, you reap not only the death and destruction of the flesh, but all the solemn judgment against the enemy. So what God was saying to them was, lift up the city 
that it might be cleansed by fire. But friends, we have a new covenant by which to lift up our city. Our city and we deserve God's wrath. But what God has said is, I desire instead to give you my life. I will take that wrath upon myself that you might receive the blessing. Now you as people who have received the blessing and me, we are called to dedicate this city to pray that the Spirit of God, the holy fire of the Spirit of God might come upon this city. A fire that does not destroy but that delights and refreshes and renews like the fire of the burning bush and yet the bush was not consumed. So you and I, as followers of the new covenant of Jesus Christ, we are called to totally dedicate our city to the blessing of God and His Spirit. And in order to do that, we have to lift our hands over the city. The Lord said to Joshua, stretch your hand out over Ai. In it was a javelin. It was the weapon. But our sword is the sword of God's word. As we raise the word of God over our city, as we raise holy hands in prayer, we demonstrate faith through our lives, through our intercession, and we declare God's word, there comes a revival, fire from heaven, which is fervor and vigor for the Holy Spirit. But you may be thinking, you know what, I've tried this before. I've gone down this path before. You may have your own failures in the Lord just like they did at Ai. Hallelujah that they were willing to go back, to go back to where they had failed. The very sight of their prior defeat in terrible shame, 36 of their men killed, the whole of the Israelite troops sent running and fleeing. But they were willing to try again with God Because God said, go back. God grants second chances to repentant people. Realize that God only said that to them once they rooted out the sin that was hidden in their midst. You and I, we can think of ourselves in that way. Anywhere where there is something within us hidden against God, if we are willing to root that out, God is saying, I'm rooting for you. I will not only draw that out of you, but I will also lead you in back to the place where you failed before. But you and I, we have to be willing to try again. Will you say this? Put your hand over your heart. If you can say this sincerely, do it. Say, in Jesus, I get a second chance. I will try again with God. Amen. A lot of us have sins that we've struggled with over and over and yet we come back to them. And the enemy says, you're never getting over that. You're never getting over that. You're never getting over that. You know what you need to say to the enemy? First of all, shut up. (laughs) Silence. The Lord rebuke you. Don't be disrespectful to him. He's a being with power. But don't be cowed by him. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And then the next thing you can realize is this. Jesus has already gotten over it for you. Jesus grants you a second chance. Repentance produces renewal. Following their initial defeat, they take 3,000 troops. Excuse me, 30,000 troops. 3,000 was in the first uh, iteration. 
So they've multiplied their resolve by 10 times. These are valiant warriors. And according to the, the plan of the Lord that God speaks to Joshua, they hide behind the city overnight. Then Joshua and a contingent that go with him approach the city head on. So visualize this now. I'm going to use my friend here. I don't, I think this is a chicken. Manok. I'm going to use my kaibigan the manok. <laughs> don't tell it, but it's masarap too. But no, not this one. This is. So this is the city of Ai. There are troops that are behind in hiding, in waiting for an ambush. And then Joshua and his men are approaching in front. When the troops that are gathered in Ai, which includes not only the fighting men of Ai, but also fighting men from Bethel nearby, when they see Joshua and the troops coming back, what they think is, we beat them once, we'll beat them again. That's the way the enemy feels about you too. Satan, the enemy of your soul, is not afraid of you. When he sees you coming, he thinks, ha, you know how many times I've cut this one down? You know how many times I brought this one short? You know how many things from the past I can raise up into his face, shove into her nose to embarrass and humiliate? But what the enemy doesn't realize is what's standing behind him, what's standing beneath you, which is the Lord. Remember the God of the angel armies who came to Joshua and said, I'm with you. I'm with you because you're with me. That's what the enemy doesn't recognize is that God has given them a plan to prevail. So when the forces of Ai see the troops with Joshua coming, they presume that they'll just go out and beat them. And as soon as the troops from Ai start to come out towards Joshua and his men, Joshua and his men plan to flee. They flee as if they are going to fail, as if they are afraid, looking like it's a rout, so that all of the men in the city come out. And once all of the men in the city have come out, the city itself will be open and vulnerable and the troops that were hiding for ambush of Israel will come in. So it is that the Lord said, you'll take possession of the city for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. Thanks, friend. And you will set the city on fire. You shall do it according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. This is, of course, a special sequence of events in human history. This is not necessarily routine action on the part of God. And it demonstrates something about just how perverse and wicked and dark these cultures had become in the days of the Canaanite conquest. But what is always and has always been a part of the heart of God is to make every effort to reach people with a message of redemption and repentance. This Wednesday at our prayer meeting, I intend to bring a message from 2 Chronicles 7 called, If My People Will Pray. It is the verse that I referenced earlier in this service. And it is something that you and I need to remember. When we look around in our city, when we look around in our nation, when we look around in our world, for that matter, if we look around in our home, in our workplace, in our neighborhood, and we see things that we say, that is wrong, that's unjust, that's wicked, that's perverse, that's confused, that's so disruptive, that's so destructive. Our point is not simply to stand in judgment. 
In fact, our position is to stand in between, to stand in the gap, to come between the place of the curse and the people who were walking in darkness and be the great light of God to them and speak the word of God to them and call out to the Lord with repentance on their behalf. Think of Jesus on the cross who said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So we are called to be people who pray. We are called to pray for Jerusalem. You know, in the midst of all the other kinds of violence and wickedness of the world, let's not forget that this is also a season in which there is great unrest in God's holy city. And Jerusalem is God's holy city. It is a special place appointed to him in a special land that he has laid claim to. And that remains. And what Psalm 122 says is that we are also called to be people who wherever we live, wherever we go, we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem, for peace in Israel, for peace among God's covenant people, the Israelis. And as we pray that, there is blessing that comes not only to them, but to all those who pray in that manner. For that matter, we are also called to pray for those who lead us, not to disparage or critique. That doesn't mean that we can't make commentary. We live in a free society, and I thank God that we do. And part of being involved in our responsibilities as people with a civic mindset, people who want to see the best and want to be participatory in our democracy, is to be... Uh, able to speak our points of view, to think about them and share them in a manner that brings about blessing, ideally, for others. But no matter what we think of any leader, whatever side of the aisle, as we say in our political system that they're on, whether they're a Democrat or a Republican or some other party, whether they espouse your views or not, if they are in a position of authority anywhere, in the city, in the state, in the nation, the Lord says, pray for them. Pray, I urge you, says Paul to his protege Timothy in 1 Timothy 2. Make petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving for all people, and especially for kings and rulers, those in authority, so that we might live peaceful, quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. If we see the quietness and the holiness of our lives in this day and age being ruptured, it is a reflection of the reality that we are losing our mission as people of prayer. If we would pray more, there would be more peace. If we would pray more, there would be more righteousness. If we would but pray, there would be revival. Don't call out to God and say, when are you going to send revival? God is saying, when are you going to pray? When are you going to call it into being? When are you going to bring it into your world? I gave you the keys to the kingdom. God is not lax concerning his promise the way some people consider it. God has a timeline. And let me tell you, friends, the time is ripe for us to pray. Amen. God wants all people to be saved. And Jesus is our Savior. Amen. Stretch your hand out over the city and see it saved. In Joshua 8, it's salvation. The salvation of the city is a dire reckoning, a harsh judgment. And the ultimate victory that occurs there is completed when the king of the city is executed. They hang him on a tree. And then they bury him behind a stone. 
But let me tell you how the Lord raised his hand over the city. Outside of Jerusalem, they raised our king on a tree. And he stretched his hands out and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And poured his lifeblood out for us. So that when he was laid behind a stone, he was not left there. But because of the righteousness of who he is and what he had done, he was resurrected. And by the same power that resurrected him, you and I are resurrected. Jesus Christ, the first fruits out of the grave. You and I, the rest of the harvest. And with us, all those who would receive the word of God and believe. Our enemy has been ambushed. Satan saw Jesus coming and thought that by putting him on the cross, he would receive the victory. But God rose up and conquered the enemy and put the enemy to shame. So the Israelite troops achieved their victory at Ai by following the plan of God that he had given them and the ambush that took place. And the Lord said, stretch out your javelin that's in your hand, just as God had called Moses to stretch out his shepherd's staff. Because the people who were led by a shepherd are now turned into an army led by a general. And it is the power of God in his hand that brings about the victory. And indeed, Joshua keeps his hand up all day long. When they finally do hang the king on a tree, It is the final sealing of the fate of that city. For you and I, the hanging of Jesus on the tree and the resurrection of Jesus from the grave is also the final sealing of our fate. But instead of being sealed in destruction, we have been sealed into the kingdom. We are sealed into life. And all those who will believe in him have that seal upon them. I want to remind you of a passage that I brought in a message back at Easter time. Do you remember that we talked about blessing and cursing? During that period from Palm Sunday through Good Friday to Easter Sunday, we talked about blessing and cursing, and I referenced Deuteronomy 11. See, I am sitting before you today a blessing and a curse. If you listen to the commandments of God, that's the blessing. The curse, if you turn away and follow other gods. In Galatians 3, Paul picks up on this idea, by the way, in his letter that describes the fruit of the Spirit. And also another reality of Deuteronomy 21. Everyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. That's why the king of Ai was hung on a tree. Because what they were saying is, this is the result of someone who raises themselves up as a ruler against God. But remember this, you're the king of your life. You're the queen of your life. So when God comes to you and says, what have you given your life to? Who was God over you? How have you invested what have you sown you are the king or queen who will answer for the city of your soul and what jesus says is come to me and i'll put my crown on you and my righteousness on you he who knew no sin became sin for us he who was blessing itself took the curse upon him in order that he might become the blessing of abraham To the Gentiles, the very people that are being destroyed in the city of Ai are the people that God is ultimately trying to reach. In fact, all people, the people of Israel first and the people of the rest of the nations, all people being brought into the promise of God's word. We are called to declare God's word. Last week, I read this passage from Luke chapter eight about revealing our hearts. 
The victory at AI ties in to the defeat at AI. Both of them have to do with what we talked about last week, integrity of heart. If we are people who truly belong to God and give our hearts to God. What Luke 8 reminds us is, what Jesus reminds us in that passage is, God knows and sees already. But we must remember that unless we offer up ourselves to him, we seal ourselves to destruction. When we offer ourselves up to him, he seals us in life. So following all these things, Joshua did what the people of God always do when God brings victory. He worshiped God according to the word. He built an altar to the Lord God on Mount Ebal, which is what Moses had written that they should do according to the direction of God, with uncut stones, never worked by a tool. In other words, this isn't human effort. This is simply trusting in God. Raw and rugged, just like the old rugged cross. He wrote the law of Moses on those stones, as he had been told to do. And then all the leaders were standing around, and indeed all of Israel standing around the Ark of the Covenant with the Levitical priests. And half of them stood in front of Mount Gerizim, while the other half stood in front of Mount Ebal, which is what the command had been. And in that place, every word that God had given to Moses, Joshua read from his mouth. Did you notice on today's bulletin that Matthew 24, 35 is there? Heaven and earth will pass away. People will pass away. Kings and rulers and kingdoms will pass away. But my words, says Jesus Christ, will never pass away. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken away. But what can't be shaken will remain. Deuteronomy 11 that we've already looked at, said, blessing and curses before you. And the Lord said there in verse 29, you are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings and on Mount Ebal the curses. And in Deuteronomy 27, he said, set up a stone altar there. So it was in the book of Deuteronomy, most likely the book that Joshua is reading, that God commanded these things. The preacher P.G. Matthews has noted that these two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, these two very barren, stark mountains, stand on either side of the Valley of Shechem, which is where the people are gathered. It's about 500 yards wide, about 1,500 feet, in other words. And it forms a natural amphitheater. So the people standing on one mountain can hear what is being said by people standing on the other as they shout it out to each other. As they declare the word of the Lord, as they declare, if you follow God, there's blessing. If you reject God, there's cursing. They can hear the word declared. By the way, this valley, you'll remember it. It's hugely important. Many things happened there. Abraham encountered God there personally and built an altar there in Genesis 12. His grandson Jacob dug a well there in Genesis 33. Jacob's son, one of the 12 sons of Jacob that became the 12 tribes of Israel, Jacob's other name, Joseph sought his brothers there in Genesis 37. And in fact, when we get to the end of Joshua 24, which is the end of the book, very nearly the last verse, it says that, Josh, that Joseph's bones, which had been originally buried in Egypt, they had carried with them all those 40 years plus and finally buried them at Shechem with his family members as he had asked. The promise of God fulfilled. Hundreds of years later, in fact, over a thousand years later, that very well that Jacob dug, Jacob's well remained. And Jesus met a woman of Samaria there. In fact, the last message 
on my calendar to bring to us in this calendar year, the last Sunday of 2019, is a message about Jesus encountering the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. Look forward to that. I'll come back to this message in a way at that time. I'd ask if those who are serving communion would bring the table before us. The meaningfulness of the Valley of Shechem is a reminder that God's been at work all the time. In fact, Bethel received its name when Jacob had a dream of the Lord there and said, surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. Bethel means house of God. Though the people that had built up that city built it in a place that was known for being the house of God, they had become people of the world. They had become people of idolatry. Don't think that just because you stand in the place where God put his name, that makes you part of God's promise. Because what God looks on is the heart. But what you and I can recognize is God is in this place. Literally, God is in this place. This is the body of Jesus Christ. It's going to come to you in the form of bread now, bread from heaven. Please receive your portion, but hold it until all have been served, and then we will partake together. This, in these cups, the cup of the new covenant, is the blood of Jesus Christ, which was poured out for you and I from the cross. And this blood speaks better things. Hebrews chapter 12 says, We didn't come to the mountain of wrath burning with fire. There the author of Hebrews is referring to Mount Sinai, but it could just as well refer to Mount uh, Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Mountains in which either you obey and receive blessing or you disobey and receive curse. We have come to the holy mountain of God where even though you and I have disobeyed, we receive blessing. Because the blessing is in the sacrifice. He who knew no sin redeemed us from all our sin. As the portions come to you, take this time to worship him in gratitude as we prepare to receive together.
chains are gone. I've been set free. I have my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns on any Amazing grace, twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieve. How precious that grace! I first believe my sorrow. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy. Unending love, amazing days, my chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy Hallelujah. I've asked Pastor Art if he would lead us in a prayer in Tagalog over the bread. Will you raise your portion of bread as he leads us? take the cup the song we've just sung says like a flood 
God's mercy reigns. The flood of Noah, like the destruction of the city of Ai, brought about death for many. And it seems hard for us to see it as a flow of God's mercy, but it is. Because the flood of Noah, like the destruction of the city of Ai, brought a second chance. This cup to you today is your second chance cup. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this cup is filled to overflowing with forgiveness of every sin and empowerment for every healing, encouragement for every sorrow, and guidance for every decision. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this cup's for you. We raise it to the Lord, but we raise it to you. Even if you're in a place watching us online and you don't have a cup before you, you know what? Go out and find a place to commune with the body of Christ and receive the blood that was poured for you. But right now, wherever you are, you can dedicate yourself to him. You can dedicate your life to him that he might come over you with the cleansing fire of his Holy Spirit, the purifying flow of his merciful blood and the promise of life everlasting. Lord, we thank you for your blood shed for us on Calvary. We receive it again in Jesus' name. Hallelujah and amen. Amen. Fear not, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And he's proved it through the giving of his very own son. May this week be a week of second chances, not just for you, but through you. Be someone who gives a second chance to other people this week. Be someone who yields to other people this week. Let someone go in front of you who doesn't deserve to go in front of you. Give somebody something that belongs to you, but they need it. Speak an encouraging word to someone who speaks discouragingly to you this week. In all these ways, you declare God's blessing and you also reveal God's mercy and you become truly people of God alive in this world as witnesses. Come and be a part of the prayer this Wednesday if you can. If my people will pray, there will be a difference. If my people won't, then those changes cannot be expected. So you and I, let us do what God has called us to do. As a reminder, throughout this month of August, we will be meeting for our single service at 10 a.m. And so once again, next week, our service at 10 a.m. Now, following this service, we have discovery groups that are meeting, men's and women's in their uh, usual location. The youth group will be meeting up in the uh, lighthouse, I believe upstairs so we hope you'll be part of that and of course this afternoon psom lots of good fruit being born out of the big hearts that god has given us here at pcf amen so we give thanks to god for who he is now may the grace of god give you strength and resolve and give you hope and courage so that you may face every situation knowing that the lord your god is with you he will never leave you nor forsake you And he will lead you from glory to glory according to his will and purposes in the name of his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.